Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And you're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. From Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with occasional detour down a few rabbit holes, we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us on podcast jamesbond8z.co.uk. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. If you want to support the podcast, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash jamesbond8z and you can find the link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A-Z podcast where M is for M the head of the British Secret Service. My name is Tom Butler and joining me as we take a look at the character of James Bond's boss, it's a man who also enjoys a spot of lepidoptery, it's Mr Brendan Duffy. Hello. And dialing in from his office in a half-sunken British ship in the Hong Kong harbour, it's Mr Tom Wheatley. Evening. Uh, So four people have played M to date in 24 of the 25 so-called canon Bond films. Uh, they're a very crucial character in the in the tapestry of Bond, um, only not appearing in the film for your eyes only, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, do you have a favourite incarnation of the character M? Oh yeah, the obvious one, Bernard the right one. <laughs> yeah, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, nodded. It's Bernard Lee. Well, <laughs> I thought you might go for Judy Dench. I thought Dench well, might be. The, uh, the, uh, no, no, my era. Look. Stop the golden-eyed jakes now. <laughs> uh, there's, there are only two M's in my eyes, though. Oh, so, that's harsh. That's harsh, but but mm. but true. Are you going to re- reveal them now? Well, Bernard Lee and M. And M. <laughs> Bernard Lee and M. <laughs> Lovely stuff. <laughs> Bernard Lee and Judy Dench. Very good. Um, yeah. uh, interesting character. Like I said, um, very crucial to the to the. Um, the story of Bond and, you know, goes back as far as the Fleming books. Um, I was going to, I did toy with the idea of doing this introduction in the style of an M briefing, but uh, nobody's got time for that, have they? Um, Not anymore. You can't, you can't tell the listeners that you were going to do something that you couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I also toyed with the idea of reading out the lyrics from the Crash Test Dummy song, mm, 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 mm. but um, again, 
target reference. Yeah, that's, it's not... that's tenuous, mate. That's tenuous. <laughs> so um, let's kick things off then with um, a look back at the origins of the character M. So Ian Fleming, there's a recent film actually, Operation Mincemeat, which I think, have you both seen that? Yes. Oh, yeah. So the character the, the, who M is based on is actually in that film. Admiral John Godfrey, who was Fleming's naval intelligence officer uh, superior during the Second World War. And yeah, he refers to him as M, but that's because he called his mum M, who was the most impossible, most terrifying, most demanding creature he ever met. M for uh, mother, I imagine. M, M for mother, yeah, M for mother. So that that is one of the main influences, the heavy influences on the character of M. John Godfrey actually said... Um, after Ian Fleming died, that he turned me into that unsavoury character M. So, uh, don't, don't, doesn't sound like he was a fan of M. Oh. <laughs> so, other inspiration: um, head of MI5, Maxwell Knight, signed his memos as M, who Ian Fleming uh, was friends with, and the tradition within the within MI6. Uh, the head of MI6 signs with a single letter uh, that came from somebody called Mansfield Smith Cumming, who signed his initial as C. So that's where that stems from, and it's obviously something that uh, continued moving forward and, and was a, a good thing to use when creating a character. And there's also another one, another uh, further influence, somebody called William Melville, um, and he was head of the Secret Service Bureau, which was uh, in place before MI5 and MI6. And again, Melville was referred to as M. So, yeah, there's there's a lot in there. But John Pearson, who wrote a Fleming biography, he leant heavily on the, the M for mother um, because Fleming, when he was young, uh, one of the few people that that Fleming really was sort of scared of and was stern towards him was his mum. So let's go with that. It's, it's It seems mainly between God, John, Admiral John Godfrey and his mother. So there we go. Interesting, because the M character in Avengers is, is called Mother. Ah. Not the Marvel film, the actual good series. The the Avengers. Steed. Yeah. The Avengers, yeah. yeah he, they, called it, they called him Mother. Ah, and interesting that um, M becomes sort of a mother figure to him in the, mm. in the Daniel Craig era, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. Doesn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And I guess, like, the M character, in a way, is a surrogate parent to Bond um, in that, you know, he's an orphan. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting that plays that part uh, in them. Um, do you know what his name is in the books? No. Uh, it's uh, Miles... Miles Missurvey, is it? Messervy, yeah. Messervy, yeah. Yeah. And he carries on throughout the books, I think, until... Uh, I think I've got this written down, but um, like as far as like the John Gardner era, I think, and then he retires. Raymond Benson um, introduced the female Bond. So, yeah, he's uh, up to uh, Colonel's son, I think, and also plays a part in the... Um, in the uh, Zero Minus Ten. So it's a long-serving, long version of that character. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so who who's the... Um, Who's the first movie, M? Well, I don't think anyone listening to this is waiting on bated breath to find out who it is. Uh, let's start with the big one, the uh, the Don 
the big cheese, Bernard Lee, <laughs> the, the original, <laughs> the big cheese, uh, Bernard Lee, the first ever M on movie screens. I'll say that because I'm not entirely sure if there was um, an M in that uh, original one. That Just go out. with Eon. It- <laughs> Eon, yeah, we'll go with Eon. Um, so Bernard Lee is uh, just a ridiculous character in terms of how many films he's been in and how impressive he was as an actor. I think it's quite difficult for people our age to quite to see how big he was at the time and how much stuff he was in because we've only really seen him in the Bond films and maybe a, a couple of sort of secondary roles that he played in other films. But he had a fantastic career. He was born in 1908, so... A uh, long, long time ago. Um, and he, I've, apparently it was in Brentford, but I also heard an account that it was in County Cork. I suppose when, you, when you're born that long ago, the records probably disappear. Um, so his dad was an actor and he um, introduced Bernard to uh, the stage in a sketch called the, the Double Event, which was at the Oxford Music Hall uh, when he was six years old. Uh, got quite into that, and then uh, he eventually joined RADA, like so many other actors that take part in the Bond series. And while he was there, he worked as a fruit uh, porter to pay for the education that he had there. Um, and he st- after that, he started working in theatre um, in uh, Rushome, Manchester and Cardiff. Uh, he worked on the West End, and he starred in a number of thrillers, one called Blind Man's Buff, which is sort of one of the uh, more famous ones that he was in. He also played some comedic roles. So uh, there was a play called Ten Minute Alibi, which he was in with Arthur Askey, which is interesting. Uh, I, wouldn't have, I, I can't imagine those two together. But his uh, screen debut was in a film called The Double Event, which is the same name as the first sketch he was in when he was six, which I thought I had to check that about three times because I thought I'd wrote it down wrong, but no, <laughs> that is correct. Strange um, link there. And uh, eventually he went into the war between 1940 and 1946 um but before he went to uh, to war he acted in a number of films that weren't released until quite a lot later so they're released between 1939 and 1943 so his films are coming out while he was actually um in the war Uh, those included murder in soho uh, the frozen limits and let george do it Uh, a lot of these films I have never heard of. I actually sat and looked through um, some trailers for a few of them. Trailers, some trailers don't exist for them because they're so old. But um, the uh, the the last one, let's let George do it, was uh, George Formby film Ooh. that um, he was in. So uh, he served with Royal Sussex Regiment um, in the Second World War. And while he was waiting to be demobbed, as we know, demobbed means leaving the army he um went to a, a, a golfing ladies night and he met a the producer there who offered him a part in the play stage door so back into the 1940s after he'd finished in in the war he um he actually had a really started to have a really successful film career and he was in loads and loads of stuff i'm not gonna go through everything because frankly i don't know any of them so i don't know which ones are important and which ones aren't um but yeah, he uh, he was in uh, the Courtney's of Curzon Street, which was um, a major success and um, the, the biggest hit at the box office of 1947. So pretty nice early start for him. Uh, other things, he was in The Third Man. Uh, he was in a film called Last Holiday, um, all the way going up to like nine, the mid-1950s. Beat the Devil, Father Brown. Um, and he tended to play a lot of sort of um, dependable characters, 
like policemen, officials, uh, officers, um, yeah, just sort of suited men a lot of the time. Uh, and then he also was in a lot of war films, as you can imagine. He's playing colonels and commanders and people in charge of the war, telling other people what to do, which largely probably led on to his casting in, in the Bond films because that's essentially what he is. Um, apparently he appeared in over 100 films during his career. And uh, he, in the 1950s, he also did a lot more stage stage stuff. Um, he was in a play called Seagulls Over Sorrento. Uh, and then he he came back to do the film version of that later on with Gene Kelly. Um, and he was in a film called Purple Plane with Gregory Peck. So he's worked with all of the greats of, of the, the golden era of cinema. Um so yeah, it did a load of stuff. I won't go into any more of the films. Whistle Down the Wind, that's one that you might have heard of. Yeah. That was a really big film back in the uh, start of the 60s. Um, but in 1962, he was cast to play M in Bond. And um, he says about getting uh, the role, he said that he knew Cubby uh, and he'd worked with him on Father Brown and Fired Down Below, uh, along with Rita Hayworth, Robert Mitchum, Jack Lemmon and Herbert Lom. Um so sort of got it through that like could be could be knew he was and he'd seen what he can do and um he, he got the gig quite easily from that um according to uh uh some other people uh there's a few sort of views on his role and, and how he did it a lot of people said that he was very close to um the fleming version of of, of m which i and i i i can't remember him in the books but is that accurate would you say butler yeah, I think so. I mean, he sort of plays, it's like a, a, a admiral, former admiral, military type, quite stern, yeah. quite cold, um, but also like warm when he needs to be, you know, quite yeah. like the relationship he has with Bond is, um, yeah, it feels yeah. paternal in a way, but also in a military type way, you know, there's very strict boundaries. Probably a quite an easy character to pin down if you've been picked for by having been seen in roles like that before so um well it's interesting yeah. isn't it because there's i was just thinking like who would be an equivalent of bernard lee now um and we don't mm. really i think because of the way that he came up um we don't really have actors like that anymore do we they're the sort of the stern military types you know no. the william hartnell type actors because we don't the, the war is so long ago um so those yeah. sorts of characters don't exist um whereas in the 60s 70s they were a trope right um sort of yeah former... what do i'm trying to think of war equivalents these days that have got a sort of big commander in but i can't think of anyone that's similar to bernard lee um other people said that he was um the incarnation of uh, Fleming's crusty admiral uh, a real roast beef and yorkshire pudding type of british actor fits quite nicely uh, a paternal actor, and uh, whilst he was um, embodying the role, uh, a gruff, reliable, no-nonsense role character actor with kindly eyes, droll manner, and expressly Anglo-Saxon-level-headedness. That's probably right on the money that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm not going to go into loads of depth about what he did in the films because frankly, there's not a lot of information about him. It, it, when you go when you go in this far back, there's not many interviews or anything. So um, just a rundown of the films he was in. So Doctor No. He was obviously one of the earliest scenes in it. And I think this is... When we talk about Doctor No, we talk about how it was very important for shaping the following films and perhaps no more so than the scene with M because that covers everything, that relationship he has with Connery. He's a bit stern with him, tells him off a few times, has the sort of 
debate with him about the gun and Connery's sort of the child in that relationship and trying to be a bit naughty, tries to steal the gun. But he's also a very likable character. He's not like, um, you know, he's not an angry uh, military lead that's shouting at him. It's it's quite a warm um, scene as well. So it it works very well. And I think they realise that straight away. And, it, and, and they probably saw that chemistry between Connery and, and M because there's a lot of chemistry between those two when they're when they're together in a room, which uh, I'll come to later with uh, Connery when he's playing against another M. Um, and then, so Promise with Love, much of the same, same sort of idea. They, I think they basically realised that that worked and they just sort of went with it again, gave him the information, had a bit of uh, dialogue with him. I think he gets told off again in that one uh, a few times. Then on to Goldfinger, um, where it's... I, it's still pretty much the same sort of thing. Uh, Goldfinger, he actually gets a couple of scenes in there. Um, I should probably point out that M doesn't get many actual. Probably, probably is one of the we've looked talked about Money Penny for, but I'm not sure how many hours of actual film of M exist. It must be like 25 minutes or something. Something like the that, yeah. But yeah, so uh, yeah, in Goldfinger, there's a there's a nice scene where he goes to the office and then he invites him, him Bond back later. So then we see. Um, in a group setting as opposed to just being in the room with Bond and um, it's when they're talking about the gold and uh, they're drinking wine and Bond starts talking about the is it champagne or is it whiskey he's talking the about the brandy brandy that's it and then Ben says uh, Colonel Smithers is giving the lecture 007 lovely little scene because it, it, I think that's important because you see what M's like when there's other people there yeah I think and also the, the scene in From Russia With Love where they're listening to Bond's tape that he's recorded with them um... Oh, of course, yes. And there's that reference to something that him and M got up to in uh, on duty yes. somewhere in the in the Far East. I think that's that's quite a funny scene, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, mm. that's a nice little addition, isn't it, to backstory? Um, Thunderball sort of takes it up a notch again. They have this big big scene where they're in a. I, I'm not sure it's it's like, it's like a war consulate or sort of like a terrorism consulate in a massive beautiful room, and they're talking about the the stolen um, yeah, all the, nuclear warheads. All the double O agents get called in, don't they? Bond is late, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that relationship is nice if you watch those two scenes because then he goes back into the office with M and they sort of have a debrief together and talk, talk about it. And he does actually change his tone a bit between the when he's in the group. He's very serious in the group setting. He just sort of get, wants to get it done and then they have a little bit more of a uh, discussion in the scene afterwards. So it's all, it's all building this fantastic relationship between the two in those first few films and then in you only live twice things really heat up because we get to see um bernard lee in a in a little officer uniform uh, on a submarine <laughs> on location uh, in, in what it looks like an enormous suite in this submarine which is designed to look like his office in london which i'm not sure how many submarines he had offices in well, i love that gag that yeah. gag is, is fantastic because yeah. that that submarine is also called M1 as well. So it suggests almost that the submarine is his own floating mm. office, mm. Um, which is great. Dench never had one, did she? No. <laughs> Dench was hardly ever in her office. No, no. Um, so, yeah, so that brings us up to You Only Live Twice. But I probably should say at this point as well that um, he was also in OK Connery in 1967. So did uh, a couple of Bond films. Um around that time and as well as that he was also appearing in a lot of tv around that point as well so he um was in he was in the obvious ones man in a suitcase danger man and something called the baron which i've never seen but um yeah very busy man uh, up until that point for um for 
the way that he played a lot of those roles. And I did watch a few videos of him earlier. Um, and it's, it, I think any time you've ever seen Bernard Lee in a film, it's either been Bond or you might have seen him as a supplementary character in a film where he plays a very similar sort of gruff, older guy. But he has done some quite interesting films where he doesn't play that role. Beyond This Place... And he plays a, pri- a, a dad who's put him put into prison for killing his wife or something. Uh, so he's been a prisoner and you see him after he's come out of prison. And that role is fantastic. He, I didn't realise it was him when I first watched uh, looked at it because he's so different than you've, you've, you've seen him in, in the Bond films. And I also saw a couple of sort of romantic ones he was in as well, which was not, not a role I'd expect him to be in, but he's fantastic in them. He's actually, um, probably at the time, people knew this, but now he's... You know, you only know Bernard Lee because of the the Bond films. But yeah, he was very, um, a very versatile actor from what I've seen. So uh, as after You Only Live Twice, we get introduced to the second um, movie uh, M in Casino Royale, the 1967 version. So uh, now in this movie, John, we covered this when we covered Casino Royale uh, 67 in an episode way back. But um, yeah, John Houston plays the role of M uh, in Casino Royale. Um, so as well as being the head of the Secret Service in that movie, he's also the laird of the Clan McTarry. And he is killed uh, right at the beginning of the film during a mortar attack on Sir James Bond's estate. That's Sir James Bond, played by David Niven. Um now, John Huston is the obviously the famous film director slash actor, sort of part of a big dynasty of actors. Um, and he also directed this scene um, or this part of Casino Royale for, you know, a number of different reasons. But there was a, a few different directors on the, on that film. But uh, yeah, the, his sequence was that whole first bit with Sir James Bond meeting the representatives um, of the different agencies at the start of the film. Um, and it was shot in Ireland um, and Kent in April 1966. And it's got that weird bit where M is driving to Sir James Bond's estate and they pass some t- wild lions on their estate. It's very bizarre. Um, so Houston worked on his section of the film with Wolf Mankiewicz, the man who had introduced Cubby and Harry to each other and had been loosely involved with the Bond films. But um, uh, Houston had written... Um, um yeah a lot of uh of the script himself um and he's talking about comparing his previous film beat the devil to casino royale he said that was discipline compared to this it was day to day but here it's moment to moment so it sort of belies the um the, the sort of chaotic nature of the film there um so Houston actually wanted an actor called Robert Morley to play M um but he was unavailable so he just stepped in and decided to play the role himself um, and he said that the film was broached to me as a lark, which it was. Um, and there's quite an interesting interview with uh, Houston on Irish television that you can watch online. Um, and he says, when he's asked about his version of M, he said, M is an absurd figure, as is everyone else in our film is absurd. Um, and he, he says he shot his section of the film, the prologue um, in Ireland, because that's where he lived. <laughs> Um, and that they found a better Scottish castle there than they could find anywhere in Scotland. Um, and talking about the script and how it was working, uh, he says um, that, that there has been some rewriting on the set. It's interesting that they asked him about this on set 
it's clear that you know even at the time people knew that there was like chaos going on behind the scenes but he said there has been some rewriting on the set but the atmosphere hadn't been frantic but it was a lark and so after Houston's M is killed in that section uh, David Niven's Sir James Bond comes the de facto M of the Secret Service and that sort of kickstarts the events of the rest of the film but he, he's always Sir James Bond from there on so there's no real M moving forward in that movie but that's that's really all there is to say about the Casino Royale version of M he's not in it for very long it's it's a bit different to what we know um, not a very memorable version let's be honest the whole thing's a load of nonsense yeah <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's, it's hardly uh, a hot take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the people might be listening to this for the first time and going, oh, so I really want to find out more about no. these, these guys must love it. Okay, well, I'll tell them they don't. Don't. <laughs> um, so let's go back to some to some proper Bond. Uh, on the Majesty's Secret Service, 1969. So Bernard Lee uh, continuing his stint. and um, But this time we've got a, a slightly different interaction uh, with the Bond because it's George Lazenby and we see again we see two sides to him don't we because we've got the um, he's quite terse with him and he, he signs him off for two weeks give him two weeks leave but then when he gets married he's there wishing him well so we do get to see two sides of, of M again well, he, he gets a bit more extreme the two sides as the films progress don't they mm. earlier on it's very it's just a little little difference, and then I mean, as it gets to Roger Moore films, it gets it's absolutely ridiculous. But in, um, the, in this one, he really pushes Bond to his limits, doesn't he? Because he this is mm. the first film that Bond goes rogue, isn't it? Yeah, because of M. Yeah, um, and obviously Bond goes rogue, and during that leave, he he goes to M's house. He visits visits M, um, a scene that was shot in Marlow in Buckinghamshire, um, and this is where we learn. Uh, something that M likes to do outside of work. He's an amateur lepidopterist. Oh dear, knew I was Which going to struggle with that. That is somebody who collects uh, butterflies and puts them puts them puts them on display. Um, and Bond, you you really realise that from this point on, and and especially the Roger Moore ones, but Bond being a bit of a smart ass towards M is really ramped up. Uh, in this, he comes in he, and he just says, he looks at the, the butterfly and says, unusually small for a Nymphalis polychloris. And obviously that winds M up because, you know, this is, it's like, where does Bond's knowledge end on everything? <laughs> like, it's non-stop, isn't it? Um, but interesting to see M outside of his usual habitat. And interesting that his house, he has someone that answers the door for him which mm. I thought was quite fancy yeah yeah it's a, it's a nice house he's got it? his own submarine well that's oh, true oh yeah good point yeah. <laughs> um, Lois Maxwell said on the set of this she said he was drunk pretty much all the time um, but you'd never know it there was an incident during Honor Majesty's Secret Service in Portugal he'd been drinking since about 9am George Lazenby was on a horse and Bernard stuck a glass of wine under its nose. The poor thing reared up and kicked Bernard through some barbed wire. There was oh blood God. everywhere. The nearest thing there was to a doctor was a vet who cut the f- loose flesh away with scissors and stitched Bernard's gashed leg. Oh, my he, God. Yeah, he was still there on camera the same day. Amazing. 
absolute legend. Uh, you won't get that nowadays, would you? And this is something that actually goes th- through throughout. So he he was a functioning alcoholic, and everyone who worked with him said how he could, you know, just the cameras would roll, and he would be such a professional, and he would he would be fantastic. Um, I think this gets worse and worse, though, doesn't it? I guess that um, that's the sad thing about yeah, his alcoholism. Yeah. That's that's the yeah the problem, and fueled by by tragedy as well. So 1972, just before Live and Let Die is beginning to shoot, his uh, he lost his wife in a house fire. So uh, actor Jack Warner said Bernard and Gladys had a lovely 17th century cottage um, in Kent. And she died there tragically in a fire early in 1972. They were trapped in their bedroom, and the fire when the fire started on the ground floor, Bernard escaped through a window, ran to get a ladder, in an attempt to rescue her, but was un- unsuccessful. It was an awful end to a long and happy marriage. Um, so he had to go to the hospital. He was he was hurt from that as well, and it put doubts over whether he would return for Live and Let Die. The same year, he was also mugged and robbed by. By two people um so after that you know he he really did sort of ramp up the drink he managed he insisted on returning um and they did film their scenes and uh, it's actually a good interaction because this is where we get to go and see bond's apartment this time and he bond makes him that coffee and um steals his spoon with the magnetic watch um again just infuriating m um <laughs> i i always think with when M is working with uh, Lazenby and Roger for the first time, they it feels like they're taking too too far, and because because with Connery he could get away with that because they built up that rapport mm. and you kind of knew he wasn't really annoyed. But when you see him with Lazenby, like he is actually annoyed. He's actually annoyed of him. And the same with Roger, you think he he really hates him. <laughs> he doesn't want to work with him. Whereas, because they've not built up that rapport yet. Yeah. He even gets angry with him with the coffee machine, doesn't he? Is that all it does? It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, just constantly <laughs> just, just some interesting trivia for um, Live and Let Die is that, uh, according to Roger Moore's diaries for Live and Let Die, um, you know, uh, Bernard Lee was in such a bad way personally that they were, like you said, unsure that he was going to be able to do it. And uh, Roger Moore's friend, Kenneth Moore, offered to do the role in... Uh, Bernard Lee's uh, place and even offered to give the wages that he earned to Bernard Lee um, as a gesture of goodwill uh, towards him. So, yeah, mm. could have had a completely different M in Live and Let Die, but uh, yeah, things wow. changed. I guess that would have been yeah. a good time to swap him, but I'm glad they didn't. Mm. Yeah, so obviously he goes on to, to continue playing M in Man with the Golden Gun, um, where he has briefing at the beginning again he asks um he asks bond what he thinks of scar what he knows of scaramanga and what can what follows is uh bond just <laughs> unleashing all his knowledge which is to a ridiculous level again infuriating him <laughs> yeah but no, but normally with the like the connery um relationship by the end they're you know they're friends again and Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the Roger Moore ones, he starts off annoyed of him, and by the end, he's really annoyed of him because <laughs> he's he's done something else annoying. I don't think at any point he likes him. Yeah, because it's normally bookended with him doing something ridiculous at the end, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. So, 1975, Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell, um, they played their Bond characters in a French Bond spoof called From Hong Kong with Love. Did 
if you, mm. either of you seen this no nope. or heard of it no nope. no never heard of it no well it was wasn't get that past the uh, copyright laws no, these days no, would exactly you? um 1977 so got the spy who loved me and we see M and General Gogol uh, briefing their agents. Um, that's quite a good scene. He's he's obviously annoyed with them at the end. Of course, um, yeah. And at this point, Roger Moore says, Jeffrey Keane was cast as the defence minister in The Spy Who Loved Me and stayed for five more films. He actually became a bit of a minder to Bernie Lee, particularly when we were on location in Venice filming Moonraker. Bernie had a tendency to disappear to a bar and dear Jeffrey had to keep him out. So they, they basically got him a chaperone. It must have got, got quite bad at this point. And obviously his health was starting to deteriorate. So so much so that Moonraker was actually his his last one. Cubby really wanted him to come back and do Few Eyes Only. But he was well aware that his health was not in the right place. And uh, he said, I'll come in and I'll test for you. Uh, and that was just to prove the po- his point. So he was too weak. He couldn't do his lines. Couldn't finish the scene. And Cubby reluctantly basically said, yeah, okay, I understand. But through respect, said that he won't be recasting straight away. Um, which means his scenes were actually split up. Um, and we discussed this in the in the episode uh, for, for your eyes only. But they were split and give to, given to Desmond Llewellyn and James Villiers just to give his lines to someone else and not have to rest on another another M straight away. Uh, Broccoli said, he was a great personal friend, liked by all of us. His quiet authority and totally convincing manner were absolutely flawless. So November 1980, he was admitted to hospital in London. Um, he was suffering from stomach cancer. And on the 16th of January 1981, he died uh, only six days after his 73rd birthday. He said about the role, M is the most enduring single running character I've ever played on stage or screen. He's been good to me and I wouldn't want to cross him. He has a built-in survival kit. Screen bonds may come and go, but M seems to go on forever. So there we go. Bernard Lee's Mm. M. Well, we've talked about Bernard Lee. Now let's move on to the real big guns when it comes to... M. <laughs> We're talking Edward Fox as M in Never Say Never Again. Uh, now, Edward Fox is is actually he's he's actually been in quite a lot of stuff. He's actually quite a well respected actor. I just don't remember him uh, seeing him in many things. Um, he comes from quite big sort of acting world stock. So his dad, Robin Robin Fox, was a theatrical agent. Um, his his mother was a, a um, uh, Muriel Worthington uh, was an actress um, and a writer, and his elder brother uh, is an actor called James Fox, and Fox, and is uh, and there's another one called Robert Fox, who's a film producer, uh, and he is an uncle of Lawrence Fox, and also his paternal great grandfather was an industrialist and inventor called Samson Fox, who's apparently quite famous for whatever he was he did. Um, so why would he feel like this is too much? This is too. Much. I didn't do any. I didn't do any research. Well, I just thought that stuff was interesting because there's not much else that I've got to say about him. Um, so in terms of his career, so his his first uh, film appearance was as an extra in The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which was a really big film from 1962. Um, and he worked a lot on stage in the 60s, including um, Hamlet. 
and after that he worked in quite a lot of quite big films in uh, british films so uh, oh what a lovely war battle of britain the go between um and he was he won a bafta for best supporting actor uh, in the go the go between he was quite a respected actor um, a director fred zinnerman uh, was looking for somebody to be in his film The Day of the Jackal, which is a massive film. Yeah. And uh, Fox got the role and he beat people, including Roger Moore and Michael Caine, to the role, which is interesting, isn't it? From then on, he did quite a lot. He was in uh, Bridge Too Far and he won the Best Sporting Actor Award at um, the the BAFTAs for that. Uh, he was in Force 10 from Navarone. We've spoke about that a few times in this podcast that had Robert Shaw and Harrison Ford in in 1978. He was in Gandhi. And then he went on, that was in 1982, and then he goes on to play M in Never Say Never Again. And he is an interesting sort of M. It's, um, they've definitely tried to do something um, removed from the canon uh, uh, series. Um, and I, I watched a bit of it earlier, and um, it's just, it just doesn't quite work. They, apparently, that they were trying to... Uh, cast him as a young technocrat um, so uh, to contrast Bernard Lee uh, and also to parody Thatcher uh, and her uh, ministry budget cuts to government services yeah he, 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 he plays the role in there but it's a very strange relationship between him and Connery because there's no like love between the two it's almost like Connery hates this guy for being sort of you know, bureaucrat. Um, he hates Connery because he's. I think Connery's grounded in it, isn't he? He's like a, a, tr- a teacher of the of the uh, 007s at this point. Yeah. And he wants to go out and, and actually do missions. This guy won't let him. Um, he, he's got like you know he's like really tight. He's got budget cuts. It's just a strange scenario. I don't think it works. I I, I don't. I I see why they did it. I see that they wanted to sort of try something different, but. You know, that's one of the fundamental things about Bond, that relationship between M and um, and Bond. So, yeah, it just didn't work very well. Um, so, yeah, I've not got a lot to say. He's not in it that, that much. Uh, I don't think he's a memorable M in any stretch of the imagination. I had to, I had to watch um, his scenes again just to remember what he was like. Um, definitely isn't one that's, that sticks to memory. Other things he's been in after that, uh, The Bounty, Wild Geese 2, Importance of Being Earnest, Nicholas Nickleby. Um, and he does a lot of stage work as well. So some some quite big things he's, he does on stage. And interestingly, in 2002, apparently, he joined the Countryside March to support hunting rights in the UK. <laughs> of course you can boo would. that one. Yeah, boo. Coffee. Medium sweet. Two medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash James Bond A to Z, where you can buy us a coffee for just £3 or for £3 a month. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Coffee. Is that all it does? Right, on to the big guns. Back to the the, the other big big dog in the world of M. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Brown. Now, he joined the James Bond films for 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me, playing Admiral Hargreaves. Uh, but after Bernard Lee's death, he, would hire, he was hired to play M in 1983's Octopussy. Um, 
because, as you said, the role of M had sort of been uh, glossed over in Fury's only with um, James Villiers as, as Bill Tanner. Um, Villiers apparently had hoped that he would stay on and become the new M. Um, but Cubby and the producers thought he was probably a bit too young to play the M uh, long term. Uh, obviously, with Roger not getting any younger either, I think it probably makes sense. So um, Robert Brown talking about his uh, initial meeting with Eon, um, he said uh, he compared it to joining the military as a young man. He said, you just you just sat there and you were grilled. It was quite something. But I was fortunate because that afternoon they said, OK, so there is some discussion about Brown's uh, incarnation of M. So some think or there's there's a suggestion that he may just be the same M as Bernard Lee. There's a suggestion that he's a totally different M. There's also uh, the suggestion that Hargreaves was promoted to be M. Um, so the idea that uh, Robert Brown's M is supposed to be the same M as Bernard Lee. Bernard Lee's M was put to bed with uh, the release of No Time to Die because both Bernard Lee and Robert Brown have portraits in uh, MI6 headquarters so it proves that they are separate people the theory that Hargreaves had been promoted to M is a little bit more uh, tenuous because uh, now this is a deep cut the uh, in hot in um, Spy Who Loved Me Hargreaves has the insignia of a vice admiral and in the living daylight M has the insignia of a rear admiral which suggests he would have had a demotion to become M but actually, there is some. I'm boring myself here, but um, <laughs> there is a suggestion that if you were to become the head of air, head of the Secret Service, that you would have to be demoted from being a um, a vice admiral because it's a lower paid position. But there you go. How boring. Uh, but but you know, people do debate this stuff. Um, so Brown's M is slightly more uptight than Bernard Lee's M, I think, um, and a little bit less tolerant of of Bond's antic. Uh, antics um some interesting quirks with robert brown's m he has a uh, very impractical office in license to kill i don't know if you remember but uh, sorry in the living daylights so at the very start of the film he gives uh, the secret agents their briefing and then they jump out of the plane and it uh, turns yes. out m's office m's office is in the plane and all the classic 80s and all the all the paper like flies off his desk <laughs> and it's like well, surely that happens quite a lot if you're on an aeroplane and they're opening does, the Does he look annoyed when they fly off the desk? <laughs> he does. Yeah. It's like, what were you expecting to happen? Um, so there is... Is there any point to him being in the plane? No. I mean, it's a good... It's a great opening scene, isn't it? I think it doesn't make any sense. But um, but yeah, there was also that really great scene with Robert Brown's M in Licence to Kill uh, at Hemingway's house. And uh, Robert Brown said he, he enjoyed shooting his scenes in Key West, uh, saying that for actors, this is a bonus. I guess for a, a jobbing actor like him, who probably just spends all his time at Pinewood and Shepparton. Yeah, that is a huge bonus for him. Mm. So having worked with Roger Moore and then moving on to Timothy Dalton, he was a huge fan of Dalton. He, he called him a consummate professional. But yeah, look, looking back at his career, he was born in Dorset. Um, there are conflicting reports of the year, but I'm going to go with 1918 that he was born. Um, and he began his acting career, like many people of this era, after serving in the uh, military during World War Two. He served in the Royal Navy, so he was of naval heritage um, and he had a very successful career 
as a TV and stage actor. Um, so this is interesting, though, but he had a starring role in the 1950s TV series uh, Ivanhoe, uh, where he played Gerth, the faithful, faithful companion of Rob, Roger Moore's Ivanhoe. So they had a long history together. Um, a lot of Brown's had he's just got tons of uh, acting credits to his name. Some that you would have heard of include The Third Man, Helen of Troy, The Warriors, Ben-Hur, 300 Spartans and One Million Years B.C. So he, he, he ended uh, his time in the Bond films with uh, License to Kill. And his last acting credit only came uh, a few years later in something called Marching Out of Time in 1993. Uh, he died in 2003, aged 85. Um, so talking about his version of M, he said he's very much a Royal Navy product, but with an uncanny steeliness and resilience to run this business. He's got a personal feeling for his agents because any, although he is a toughie, he'll make decisions that will appall anybody. He is still worried about his people, which is a Royal Naval thing. So we end the Robert Brown era and move on to another M, um, which again complicates the idea of a, of a continuous character somewhat. Yes, it does. So in what was a, a change, there's been a big gap so Robert Jan Robert Brown had gone, and in real life, the head of MI5, um, the new head of MI5, Stella Rimington, had was the first woman to be head of MI5, um, and that was in 1992. So during the time where they're um, writing, Goldeneye and thinking of casting and where to go, they went and casted a woman. And Barbara Broccoli said, "Our instinct was if we're going to cast M as a woman." We needed to find an actress who would be totally believable and not cartoonish. Our fear that it would be laughable and the big thing was to get something the caliber, someone the caliber of Judy Dench to play the role. And because M is the only authoritative figure in Bond's life, the casting of a woman as M gave the relationship a whole new dimension. In terms of now, now it just it seems like it, it makes sense. But back then this was quite a big a big deal. And so that relationship from the outset um, in Goldeneye, you really see how uh, little her opinion of Bond is. Um, call him a sexist, misogynistic dinosaur and nothing more than a relic of the Cold War. Really setting a stall out there, not, not holding back. It's and one of those scenes that plays in the, um, you know, the best of trailers, the montages. Yeah. It's an iconic yeah. Bond moment, isn't it now? And the genius of of it is is it's a way for the the writers to show their awareness of it as well, that this character is somewhat outdated. It's the 90s, you know, we've moved on. Um, the Cold War has stopped, has finished. And so it's re really clever, cleverly done and a great way introdu to introduce the first female M. And then moving on, um, she goes from strength to strength. The opening scene, Tomorrow Never Dies, where she works really well with Jeffrey Palmer. Of course, they'd work together on... Uh, as time goes by. Yes. Finally, we've got a reference to as time goes That's by. That's just what you wanted, isn't it? And, you know, you can you can see from that she is concerned for Bond. That starts to creep in because prior to that, you just thought that she was happy. And she said to him in GoldenEye, she was happy to just let him go and die. She she doesn't care. It's just about getting getting those the figures right and getting the job done. She has a much bigger role in The World Is Not Enough. And... M, she assigns 007 to protect Electric King. 
which he does, but it, then obviously it turns out that Electra um, has has turned and is actually uh, is is bad, and she kidnaps M, and then locks her up, so in, in the tower. So M gets a gets a meatier role in this, not just the briefing scene, and then again in Dying of the Day, she gets more of a scene. She uh, they get Bond out of uh, captivity from North Korea, and um, she basically says that she should just let him let him die just left him to die so she's ruthless she's not afraid to just uh say what she thinks um, which is true to the character i guess isn't it i guess it is true to the character yeah but within that you never you never think that she hates bond it's not a hatred it's just a it's just cold isn't it it's yeah. clinical and then obviously brosnan uh departs from the role as bond and they do a, a soft reboot and this is where it gets confusing because they recast Judy Dench, and there's, I, I tried to look and see why that was the case, and nothing other than it's Judy Dench and she was really popular in the role. There don't seem to be any other reason than that. Um, I guess it's a good way to keep some continuity of the character. From yeah, before. I feel like if they did it now, it would people would. I don't know, there would be more questions about it because we're so used to this continuing narrative idea. Yeah, it would be ridiculous. Um, so I wonder... Probably do it. Yeah, I wonder whether it feels like they wouldn't do it with Ray Fiennes in the next generation, but... We'll, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute. But uh, in terms of whether it's the same M, again, it's unclear. She she says in Casino Royale, Christ, I missed the Cold War, indicating that, you know, she's been head of MI6 for, for some time which we know she has in the world of Bond but is this the same version? We don't know it's it's not clear but opens up all sorts of questions if it if it's not or if it is so it's best just to leave it she's just M um, so obviously Casino Royale is his first mission so you know she is still quite uh, guide, guiding him through uh, she says to him any thug can kill. I need you to take your ego out of the question, the equation. So she's, you know, he's still rough around the edges at this point. He breaks into a, her London apartment and also threatens to reveal her name, doesn't he? Is it this one? Yes. He starts mm, to say it, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah more, one more word and I'll have you killed. Yeah. Yeah. So then she continues to play M in Quantum of Solace. But Skyfall is where she really gets her... This is her moment. You're not going to mention her high-tech office in uh, Quantum of Solace? What's what's that going to add? (laughs) Well, it's got that stupid touchscreen-like swishing stuff, isn't it? I just think it's it's a funny, weird version of MI6 in that film. Yeah, probably based off the back of um, Minority Report. Yeah. (laughs) That sort of nonsense. Uh, But we'll cover that in Quantum of Solace. Hold your horses. (laughs) um but skyfall that's where it all it all comes to a head and and um she's targeted by former mi6 agent rouse raul silver and um because she she turned him over to the chinese government in order to save six others so he is on a revenge mission she goes to skyfall with bond and they set up loads of um booby traps she's shot she's wounded and then she dies in bond's arms making her the only M to die uh, in the on Bond films on screen. So she actually makes her last appearance in Spectre, 
uh, in a brief cameo in a video of her will. And then in No Time to Die, there is a portrait of Judy Dench's M, opposite a portrait of Robert Brown's M in Ralph Fiennes' office. So following her death in Skyfall, her name is revealed to be Olivia Mansfield. Um, pointless. <laughs> yeah, pointless. And that's for the duration of the uh, Daniel Craig anyway. So that's the, the version of M. Um so she okay, so go on. Well, you're gonna carry on. Yeah. Go on. Well, you don't know anything about Judy Dench, do you? <laughs> oh, are you doing Judy Dench now? Yes. I thought you. When else are we gonna do her? Desperate to find. I thought you could do it at the start. You're just, desperate you're, to find. You're just, out about you're just Judy prolonging Dench. the agony. As long as you cover as time goes by. <laughs> yes, I'm going to. Don't worry. Excellent. She said, "You always have to make a backstory for yourself in order to know how to react to certain things." I had this backstory with two grown-up daughters and everything. I knew her capabilities and I knew that she must have been through all sorts of things in order to get where she was to hold this job over lots of chaps at MI6. So I knew her capabilities, but I'm very glad they came to the fore. Sam Mendes said she was the first bona fide great actor that I worked with. I learned more from watching her, the way she worked, than I ever had before. Um, So Judy Dench, she was born in York, 9th of December 1934 and one of her first acting jobs was as Mary in a York mystery play. There's a bench in York next to the river and it annoys me that they've not called it uh, bench Ju- bench. Ju- or, or Judy Bench. You know, it's got her name on it but it ha- it, they haven't called it. Public Dench. Yeah, just they could have done loads of that and they've not bothered. Uh, wasted opportunity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Bench of Dench. I mean it writes itself <laughs> yes, doesn't it? It does, exactly. So she went to Central School of Speech and Drama in London and she made a professional debut in 1957 at the Old Vic uh, where she established um, a career, uh, joined up with the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford. Her first TV appearance appearance was in a show called uh, ITV's Play of the Week in the episode Family on Trial in 1959 with Bernard Lee. So there's a nice, nice link there. So... 1965, she won a BAFTA for Most Promising Newcomer in a film called Four in the Morning. Then she carves out an amazing theatre career in, in acclaimed performances of Midsummer Night's Dream, which was uh, also on, on screen opposite Diana Rigg in that, so another Bond alumni. And then her, her, her acting career is, like, it's it's relentless. Massive, uh, yeah. Yeah. Her Lady, if you want to make a good film, get the Dench. Get the Dench, yeah. Her Lady Macbeth is renowned. It's one of the best versions of Lady Macbeth ever. Uh, it was directed by Trevor Nunn, opposite Ian McKellen. That's in the late seventies. Then in the in the nineties, as time goes by, which ran from ninety uh, two. <laughs> that's two lovers who meet again after thirty eight years have passed. Um, co-starred with Jeffrey Palmer. What I find funny about as time go by goes by is that back in those days, when you watch these shows, they were they were meant to be about old people, yeah, like mm. the, the, the waiting for God and all those ones. Mm. You look back now, they weren't that old. No, no. <laughs> no. Well, she, she's eighty six now, isn't she? So, yeah. What's that? That's thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah. So she has been nominated for an Academy Award eight times. She wow. won it. She won it for um, best supporting actress for a performance as Queen Elizabeth I in Shakespeare in Love. She was only on screen for eight minutes. 
fantastic in that film. Fantastic. Um, she was nominated for Mrs. Brown, Chocolat, Iris, Mrs. Henderson Presents, Notes on a Scandal, Philomena and Belfast. She's also won a BAFTA Fellowship Award, um, Society of London Theatre Special Award and the British Film Institute Fellowship Award. She is probably one of the most decorated actors ever. Um, if not, She's a license to print quality. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, in terms of her personal life, she, she married Michael Williams uh, in 1971 um, and they were together until he died in 2001 and they had a daughter together Finty Williams is who is also uh, an actor she was she was given an OBE in 1970 and then a dame commander of the British order of the British Empire in 1988 so she's been a dame for a long time as well yeah um, and then recently uh, it was announced October 2021 she was be joining the cast of Alleluia uh, adaptation of Alan Bennett's play uh, that's alongside Jennifer Saunders, Russell Tovey, David Bradley, Bradley, and Derek Jacobi. So she's she's still plugging still away. plugging away, and I think her her playing M really brought a, an air of quality to to Bond. Yeah, yeah, she was probably the one of the first of the big actors to be in it. I mean, in the later films, they do sort of pick up more classic actors. But yeah, she's definitely sort of defined it. She's um, she's one of the the, the pillars of British institutions. Isn't mm-hmm. She's like her Stephen Fry, Ian McKellen, like, yeah, Ian McKellen. Like, they, 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 all of those ones that you know when when they pop off, we should get a day of memorial for them because it'd be so sad when they go. But um, yeah, fan- fantastic. Uh, who? Mirren. <laughs> Yeah, Mirren, yeah. <laughs> Kane. Yeah. Okay, all right. What's, what's going on? These are the actors we deserve days off for. That's a different podcast. What about Ray Fiennes? Does he not deserve it? In his, it eventually. He's not there well, yet. Well, speaking of Ray, Ray Fiennes, <laughs> he also played him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do this the other way around than you, as I always do, because I want to get the uh, the background done first, so then we can talk about Bond. Um, so, very much like Judy Dench... Fines is a much revered actor with many accolades to his name, many fantastic films, and I think it's safe to say he is a very classically trained actor who's done a lot of impressive stage work as well. But um, he comes from a family of actors um, or people that work in in the movies, so there's no surprise uh, that he was gonna 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 do that. So he's the eldest of six children. Some of his um, siblings include Joseph Fiennes. Martha Fiennes is a director uh, in which he played the main role in a film on again, on again, on again, on again. Magnus Fiennes, who's a composer. Sophie Fiennes, who's a filmmaker. And uh, oh, and Jacob Fiennes, who's a conservationist. Um, but also, I felt this is an. Well, you haven't given his full name. Who? Rafe Fiennes. Go on then, give his full name. Rafe Nathaniel. Twizzleton Wycombe Fines. <laughs> Twizzleton? Yes. That's a fantastic name. Mm, isn't it? I'm, I'm writing that one down if I have kids. Um, but also, it, uh, one interesting fact I found out about him, well, not necessarily about him, but his nephew, Hero Fines Tiffin. Tiffin. <laughs> yes. He plays Tom Riddle yeah. in the uh, Harry Potter series, mm. the young, young Voldemort, so... Interesting fact for you Harry Potter fans out there. 
Um, he also liked Bond. So uh, he went on to uh, he he. I'll, I'll skip some of the sort of stuff he did at school and things, but he went to RADA as well between 1983 and 1985. And his career started in the open air theatre, Regent's, Regent's Park, uh, as well as the National Theatre. Um, and then he joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. So he had he was off to a pretty good start for uh, for where acting is concerned. Um, he worked on um, his his film debut was he played Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights um, opposite Juliette Binochet. But it wasn't until 1993 where things really started to kick into gear and he shot into stardom um, at a ridiculous level. So his first thing was uh, The Baby of Macon uh, with Julia Ormond, although that film didn't do that well. Um, apparently it provoked quite a bit of controversy. But the film that really shot into stardom was Schindler's List, um, in where he played uh, Amon Goth, um, who's obviously the evil Nazi concentration camp um, commander. Um, it's fantastic in that film. It's an amazing film to, to have at the start of your career. Um, he was also in Quiz Show. I think Quiz Show is probably... I don't remember Quiz Show very well, but I associate it with him very closely. I can see that when I think about his, his filmography. Um, and that was in 1994. And probably one that everyone would associate with him, The English Patient in 1996. Um, and he was nominated for Best uh, Actor um, Academy Award for for that film. Um, he's also he was in Red Dragon in two thousand and two, and The Constant Gardener, great film. Um, and he also uh, voiced Lord Victor Quatermain in Wallace and Gromit: The Curse of the Were Rabbit. Didn't know that. Yeah. What, what, what do you want? What do you want from us? I was waiting for you to go. Really? Nope. <laughs> um, but then then his sort of mainstream popularity shot through the roof when he became Voldemort in 2005 uh, in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, so there's, there, I mean, he's had just a ridiculous career. The Duchess in Bruges, uh, uh, Clash of the Titans, probably not one that he mentions very often. Okay, so in 2012, he finally joined the Bond series as, well, he didn't join as M originally because there were, or Judy Dench was M in that film. So he actually joined as Mallory, who is like a, uh, he's, he works alongside MI6 and the British government as a sort of intermediary to, to check what MI6 is doing and, you know, sort of bureaucratic role of making sure that they're, they're not going out of, that they're not doing things they shouldn't do and sort of controlling it, a bit of a watchdog. And because of that role, he's not a very likeable character at the start. Um, and in in some ways, you, you kind of think he might actually be the villain. So, so in... Skyfall, he actually starts off as Mallory um, and we don't know he's M or going to be M until right at the end of the film. And I actually found, I think that's done quite well in Skyfall because you can't. I think there are points where I sort of suspected it, but because the previous films didn't really have Money Penny in, there was already an M. I didn't really think put two and two together i was thinking that might happen but it didn't so it was a nice actually thought that was a nice twist at the end and it works quite well and he does have an interesting character up because you don't like him early on because he's this sort of bureaucratic um he's trying to stop them doing saving the world basically by using you know governmental tactics just to to sort of say you shouldn't be doing these things red tape, to do it it? within the rules sorry just red tape just, red tape. Yeah. He's just red tape, yeah. And you don't like him because of that and also the way that the film's going there are bits where you kind of think is he is he one of the baddies? Is he actually in, in, in cahoots with the baddies? So it's quite a nice story arc. And he eventually, 
throughout the the film um he doesn't sort of redeem himself right until the end where he he comes out of his sort of red tape role and he becomes sort of a, a hero figure alongside them and helps them out I, I wouldn't say he's like you know you don't necessarily really like him at that point you just say oh there's more to this character and then it's a really nice hit at the end of the film when you see it and you go ah okay that's good i get it now it's nice to see an origin for an m and it's done very well i think I, I, that's one of the nicest features of that of, of skyfall i think they really pull that together nicely um over the course of the next two films so inspector he has a significantly more... Well, he's, he's, he's quite a big role in Skyfall, but in Inspector, he, a bit like Judy Dench in World Is Not Enough and, and Skyfall, he's one of the main characters. He's part of the main team and he, he's actually on the ground getting involved and he's got a gun now and stuff like that. And he's not that... He must be around the same age as, um, of, as, as Craig as well. So I think there's one point where they have a discussion where it kind of says to him, um, uh, you thought I was just a desk... desk um, jockey or something like that and but he's actually he's obviously a military man he's he's trained he can do all this stuff as well so he's he's just sort of a um an equivalent to to craig and i think that earns him craig's respect uh in in that film as well so i, I think probably i'd probably argue that it, mallory as m has probably got one of the best story arcs in the whole craig series because he mm. does develop over time quite nicely it does get a bit silly when it gets to no time to die um because we've spoken about this many times, where they form the what do we call them? Like the, the like the Scooby Doo crew or something like that, where those the, the four people work together and they solve all the world's problems. There's like a the mystery gang group, <laughs> the mystery gang, yeah. yeah. And that does get a bit ridiculous. Just, I think he loses a little bit of his what's the what's the word um, gravitas yeah. in yeah. No Time to Die, and you think, well, maybe just. You know, sit behind your desk yeah. and get some other people to do this. You you have other people. So yeah. So by the end of it, he uh, he he's been there throughout that No Time to Die series until uh, the film until um, he dies at the end. And the last time we see M uh, um, is when he's taking a toast to uh, the 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 spoiler dead Bond at the end. Spoiler! Um, you've spoiled after you've spoiled. <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, so yeah, so 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 he that there are the the films that he's in. Um, interestingly, I read something uh, about. Uh, well, one, what first thing is uh, finds is the youngest actor ever to play M because he was forty nine when he first appeared in the role, which makes me think that he might even yeah maybe Craig was about forty six or something about that time. Um, need to check that up, but they're they're a very similar age. On getting the role, um, he he said. Um, that he was actually, interestingly, he taught, he said that um, he'd previously spoken to Barbara Broccoli about playing Bond mm. at one point, which you can imagine, can't you? He's he's a famous British actor of a certain age yeah. that has, you know, he's, he fits the role perfectly. He probably would have been an interesting, interesting Bond. Um, but he did say something interesting about uh, Spectre with um sam mendes and he said that originally they wanted um they were looking at the idea of m or mallory's m turning into a bad guy in that film so inspector there's a lot of sort of back and forth isn't there there's times where you, you're not you, you think oh maybe he is he's the guy doing this he's behind it all which would have been an interesting it wouldn't have been past that film to make that twist yeah it, it yeah. seems pretty conceivable at that point um but 
that, that he, I mean, various people, I imagine, said no, but um, definitely Vines was not up for that, uh, and he's uh, and he said that um, M should never be a bad guy. Um, so they had some pretty big discussions about that, and he said it's just not flying with with me. Um, if it, it was like he was Blofeld or something, but but that was a red line in that idea. So yeah, so that's that's Vines. That's his his journey of Bond. Um, I think he's very good. So yeah, after Bond, he is he continues to be very prolific in the acting world. He was in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, he's also in um, a Coen Brothers film, uh, Hail Caesar. He's great in that. And yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, probably the finest part of his career in 2017, he voiced uh, Alfred Pennyworth in the Lego Batman movie. Ah, yes. <laughs> and came back for Lego Movie Two, the second part in 2019. He also voiced a tiger in Doolittle. Starting Robert Downey Jr. in 2020. Um, and yeah, he's got lots of projects coming up, including uh, Wes Anderson's um, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which should be oh. a blast um, when it when it comes out. Uh, the other thing you should say about Fines is he's also a UNICEF uh, UK ambassador, and he does he's done a lot of work in India, uh, Kazakhstan, Uganda, and Romania. Um, and he's also a member of the Canadian charity Artists Against Racism. So yeah, Fines, um, big, big name. Uh, definitely one of the defining M's for me. Um, and yeah, I think he's uh, definitely don't... Well, what what do you guys think? Would, could he come back? He could. I, I think he could, but I don't think... I don't think he needs to. It, it feels like it's just, that's it. It's a nice little package. It's all done. Yeah. It might be confusing if he does. Yeah. In, interesting that I don't think without Judy Dench, we would have got a Ray Fiennes uh, calibre actor in the role, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, yeah, they they realised that that was important and it but, worked. So, yeah, I guess it's whether or not that remains to be the case in the next incarnation. I feel yeah. like maybe again they've painted themselves into a corner slightly by casting so yeah. such get, high get, caliber. Get Myers in. Myers, Mike Myers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a spoof. Um, Talking of which, uh, let's talk about other versions of M. We haven't got um, um, Alan Porter of the Bond lexicon here to talk about all the myriad versions of Bond uh, of M, um, but uh, there are obviously countless versions of them uh, of M in the books. There is one uh, in the Raymond Benson's book, another female M whose name is Barbara Maudsley, um, and M actually gets their own uh, dynamite comic, uh, a one shot um, about M's past. Uh, which uh, yeah goes back to Northern Ireland, I think, and the the troubles in Ireland, but um, uh, in Belfast, that's one version. But one version of M that I thought was really interesting is a version that crops up in Alan Moore's comic, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, in which a character called Campion Bond recruits the team of extraordinary individuals on behalf of the head of British intelligence, M. And Campion is said to be the grandfather of James Bond that we know uh, in our version of the uh, of reality. But um, M in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen transpires to be Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes's nemesis. Mm. And after Moriarty is defeated in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Mycroft Holmes becomes the new M. And then in later versions of that comic, other M's in the series include Harry Lyme from The Third Man and Emma Peel from The Avengers. So that was quite interesting. Mm. But yeah, what's the what's the future for M? We talked about it at length with Money Penny. Um, I still think there's a, a, a obviously there, it's a role that has to be played within the world of Bond. I think. Go back to basics. Simplify it. Go back to a just in a room, 
plays a plays the plays the fatherly role or whatever, and and that's the only time you see him. Don't try and drag him into the main plot. Yeah, I think that's absolutely or her, or her. Yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, I don't overcomplicate it. I think when you overcomplicate it, then it just becomes uh, hard to maintain, doesn't it? That's the issue. Um, it's how do you yeah. keep that going through through a series of films? Um, M should be well. You know, keep it like you say, keep it simple. Who would you like to see play the next M? I've got a few names I'd like to suggest. Go on then. Uh, Jared Harris. Ah, yes, I can definitely see that. I think he'd be good. He plays military types, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, He's got Steely Reserve. He's of a similar ilk to, um, you know, Judy Dench, Robert Brown. Um, He's in his he's sixty, I think. So he's the right age for for M next. Have you got Ken Banner in there? Ken Branagh was literally the next name on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He would love it. Yeah, yeah. he would. Yeah, he yeah. could direct it as well. So. Yeah, love to see Ken Branagh doing a Bond film. Ian McShane. Yeah, I'm not having that. A bit too old. And then yeah, one we one not I've, the right not the right ilk either. No. And then one I've I've suggested in the past, but Idris Elba. Yeah, but the problem is with that they would definitely get him in the field. Right. Yeah, they? Oh, yes. they couldn't yeah. resist that. They couldn't stick him behind a desk. They'd need him out there helping Bond. In the first film, maybe, and then if he gets injured in the 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 you know, Bond has to save him and then yeah. that becomes their relationship. No, because then he he'll get injured and then Q will make him like a, a magic eye or something. <laughs> you know it'll happen. Uh it just becomes Avengers. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Have you got any suggestions? Well, Ken Branner would would be where I would have gone with that, so I'm glad he's yeah. on your list. Ken yeah. is a great choice, yeah. I I definitely see that work in in the style of Bond that we've been talking about recently. I think he would work very well. And he yeah. plays an admiral, naval commanding officer in Dunkirk, doesn't he? Yeah, very uh, yes, well. He does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. he's got heritage. Could, could be a bit Poirot as well. <laughs> yeah, he's got a big mustache. Yeah, yeah. He could play play it as Poirot. I'll do that. It's fine. Have fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> Go crazy. Have a few years. A bit of fun, mate. Go for it. <laughs> well I think we should wrap things up there so thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed this episode of the James Bond A to Z podcast please leave us a good review or rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify Uh, as you've heard from the adverts throughout the show you can support us online at coffee.com forward slash James Bond A to Z where you can buy us a coffee which we will spend on um, yeah Kenneth Branagh videos um videos <laughs> yeah and you can you can buy an m jumper can't you you can there is now an m uh, m jumper an m t-shirt now is that for m or is that for the letter m it could be either doesn't it it, it could be for wherever you want it to be interesting yeah. mother um the song by crash test dummies if you're a big oh, you fan got of it in there you got it in yeah. there didn't you? Um, i mean that I mean, it definitely doesn't work when you've just got one m but if you get a line of the people wearing them uh, 16 of them. Yeah. yeah yeah um and if people want to send in their suggestions for who they want to hear as a player's m who should where should they send them to go okay, podcast at james uk. and if you want to get us on in on on social medias brendan at james bond z on instagram facebook and twitter and before you do sign off i have just remembered so i don't get any complaints from very fine fans he was also obviously in kingsman which has links to a Bond style character. Yes, good point. I forgot one. that one. <laughs> that's a that's a good save there. That is. <laughs> that's yeah, a yeah. good catch. Yeah. Don't yeah. Have any more emails. No. 
Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. Uh, our next episode, we will finally finish the letter M. I mean, it's been as long as, as the letter C, this one, hasn't it? Oh, yes. uh, but we'll finally get to the end of the letter M with an episode on Moonraker, which is an absolutely massive movie. And I feel like it's going to be a bit of a... Just get me to N for Never Say Never Again. And then, yes, we'll be moving on to N. Never Say Never And No Time to Die, obviously. You're... Uh, in for a treat in the next few weeks so uh, w- with that it just remains for me to say that the James Bond 80 podcast will return next week ta ciao the James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler Brendan Duffy and Tom Wheatley the podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley with music by Tom Inglemels and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant. A bean counter more interested in my numbers than your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken.